Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host Dominic Booth and I'm joined by an equally delighted England fan in Tyrone Marshall for today's episode of the podcast. Um, is it coming home Tyrone? Well, I mean, it depends how we uh, how we want to take that phrase, I guess, isn't it? Really, uh, whether it was meant as the uh, the trophy is coming home or just the football is is coming home. But I mean, they've they've saved the hardest game for last, haven't they? So um, I'm not willing to reach this stage, but it's going to be a hell of a game and a, a hell of a difficult ask on Sunday. Yeah, there'll be no tempting fate actually on on this podcast, and we will talk <laughs> about uh, we will lead obviously a, an angle on the Manchester United involvement in the England win over Denmark, and obviously um, how. The three Lions put their place in the Euro 2020 final against Italy on Sunday. It's obviously going to be an absolutely huge game. But um, from a United perspective, Ty, the standouts really, and the tournament, not just from England really, I suppose the standout players from any international side have been Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw really. Their performances at the back for, for England have been absolutely outstanding and it just shows what a partnership United have and, and how they shouldn't really be undervalued by anybody. No, absolutely not. They've both been absolutely immense, I think, in, in this tournament. Maguire, especially since he got fit, considering how little football he plays between May the 9th and then basically got parachuted back into a European Championship, played, I think he played against the Czech Republic, which was a final group game in England had qualified, but it's still an intense occasion. And then since then, I, I thought against Germany and last night especially, he was just absolutely magnificent. He was he was arguably man of the match for me last night. I, I think he, looking between, I know Kane got that star of the match, but I think it was between Sterling and Maguire, just the way the way he defended, the way he carried the ball out, just so positive. And I think he's he's had a a brilliant, brilliant tournament. And you know, even he had a very good season for United. I mean, it's bizarre to look back now to, to the events of last summer and how slowly he started and that red card against Denmark when he was playing for England last October, I think it was. And he he just looked, you know, it's a bit cod psychology, but he he looked broken really at that point. And I did his England press conference on Monday and, and he did. He evidently didn't want to go too deep into what happened last summer, but he was asked about that game when he got sent off and how dejected he looked. And we all looked at that and thought, there's a man with the weight of the world on his shoulders. But, you know, he, he did point out that a few days earlier, he'd been part of an England team that had got a clean sheet against Belgium. I think a few days later, he scored against Newcastle for United. And his dejection at the time was more that he'd let his teammate down. But there's no doubt he was struggling then, but he improved as the season went on. And then uh, since that injury against Villa, he almost got better without playing, as as so often happens. He, he became a better defender as United struggled without him. And I think we saw his, his true value. And then for England, he's, he's just been superb. He, he's a real leader. His insight into why he's so demanding to, on Luke Shaw on, on Monday, I thought, was was brilliant. And he actually sounded like a United captain. When you you know when you read his quote out about why he's so demanding on, on Luke Shaw and how he won't accept him playing next to him and playing safe and and not getting forward, it, you know, you could read that quote and it could have been Roy Keane or, or Gary Neville, really. Um, you know, I thought it just showed real sort of leadership and he's, he's had a great tournament, was unlucky to score last night. And the, the same with with Shaw, probably not not as influential last night as he has been, but against Germany and Ukraine, he was brilliant. It's it, He's getting forward so well, which I think Maguire's had an influence on, but it's the timing of his runs as much as anything, I think, the the timing got on the overlap and his, his understanding with Sterling is is absolutely brilliant. And I think when, when Shaw was impressing last season, we all thought he had a brilliant partnership with Rashford, which he did. But then he had a great partnership with Pogba. Now he's got a great partnership with Sterling. There was a time in the Ukraine game where he linked up well with Sancho and 
you know, the common denominator here is that it's Luke Shaw and basically whoever in front of him. I think he's a, a winger's dream to play in front of because he's he's secure, but his the timing of his overlapping runs is is just absolutely brilliant. He gets them right every single time and makes that overlapping pass easy. And yeah, they they've both had great tournaments and should should easily both be in the team of the tournament for me. Yeah, Jack Grealish as well. I was thinking of the link up between Shaw yeah. and Grealish against yeah. Germany as well. So he's another player onto that list. But like you say, the common denominator there is Luke Shaw and United really um, seeing him go from strength to strength. I suppose the two players that weren't involved for England, Tyrone, Jaden Sancho, obviously the new signing who played the full 90 minutes against Ukraine, wasn't used uh, last night. And, and Marcus Rashford also wasn't used and has sort of been pushed to the peripheries of this England squad really. Do you understand that? Is that is that a concern anyway for for United that those two haven't been involved, or I suppose it's just the way that that Gareth Southgate is setting this England team up, and Sancho could well have a part to play maybe in the final. Yeah, you wouldn't be surprised. Um, I mean, it seems horses for courses, really, and I think I think Saka probably gives a little bit more defensively than than Sancho, and that's probably why you got got the nod. You know, you, you can probably make a case that Rashford is perhaps the most disappointed of of any player in that squad. Really, he's probably the one who would expected to have played more given he's been a regular for England in the World Cup and and since then really he's 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 been a regular and has kind of lost his place now and it does look you know England have got a lot of attacking options but he does appear to be the last one at the moment I know he's he's come on I think he's come on in four of the six games but didn't come on in in probably the two biggest wins against Germany and Denmark now and you do, you know, you look at those options, the, the, the three across the, the front that started last night, and then you probably would bring Foden, Grealish and, and Sancho on ahead of him at the moment. And I think it's it's difficult to make a case for him making much of a, an impact in the final, but you, you, you never know. I mean, Southgate's shown he can, he will make different changes. But, you know, I think, I'm not sure any player is necessarily disappointed given given the success England are having, but I think Rashford would expect it to play more of a part it's a strange one because his numbers were great for United this season, but the eye test told you he, he wasn't as good as last year or as influential. It's looking at it objectively, it's probably not the worst thing in the world that he's not played that much football this summer. He is, you know, he's played through two injuries this year. He's played he played 75 games in it in a 12-month spell between June the 19th last year when the season started and June the 19th this year. And you know, that's just absolutely incredible when you think he's had a shoulder injury and a, an ankle injury during that time. I don't, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world for United that he's not played as much as he has done. I think he'll be disappointed at, at his lack of involvement, but it, it's hard to say that's been the wrong decision, really. And I think the best thing for Ashford is, is if he needs surgery, then get surgery once this tournament's over. Even if he misses the start of the season for United, I think a break would would do him good and, and you need to get him back, back to full fitness, really, rather than playing through injuries. Because at, at the age he is, you know, I think he's, he, well, he's still 23, he's played well over 300 senior games and someone of that age shouldn't be shouldn't be playing through injuries because it's it's not a good sign for the future really if, if that's the case yeah what seems absolutely crazy is that england's um or united's first choice front three for next season could well be mason greenwood Jaden sancho and marcus rashford and none of those three are currently in the england first choice uh front three but i guess maybe that says a lot about the riches that um southgate has at his disposal right now um we should probably move on to transfer matters, Tyrone. I suppose that's what a lot of United fans are talking about at the moment. If they're not English and getting excited about the Euros like we are, um, I guess like Eduardo Camavinga is a name to talk about. United have um, been credited. We understand there is an interest from United in 
the 18-year-old Wren midfielder, um, out of contract next summer, apparently available for something around the 25, 30 million pound mark. Um, I can't claim personally to have seen a huge amount of Camavinga in action that I've been told about the kind of player that he is, the box-to-box midfielder, Tyrone. But is this a, is this one that United can get done and is this one they should get done? I mean, I've not seen a lot of him either, to be to be quite honest. Um, but I know people people rave about him. You would expect, you know, if, if an 18-year-old midfielder who's, who's one of the best of that generation in Europe is available for 30 million euros, then... There should be, even given the, the pandemic and the impact of, of you know, finances on, on some of Europe's clubs, you would expect a long queue of clubs that want to sign him um, with probably PSG at the top of that, really. Um, yeah, I think it makes sense for United to, to be interested. We've talked about their midfield a lot and, and how it it needs tinkering with, should we say, and, and other options there. So, you know, it, it makes sense. And given how highly rated he is, you would you, you would expect a club of United stature to, to pursue him. Um, I suppose the interesting thing is how it will affect interest going forward in in other players. I think it was always, given they've signed Sancho and, and want to sign at least one centre-half, I think it's an acceptance United want a central midfielder, but signing an elite one was always going to be difficult this summer due to those those financial pressures. Um, if they sign Camavinga, I suppose it's how does it impact on, on Declan Rice and the interest there? He could, of course, go to Chelsea. And I think there's... You know, it, it's hard to plan. You don't exactly know what's going to happen, but Jude Bellingham's not going to be at Borussia Dortmund for, for well forever, and he's certainly not going to be there. I'd be surprised if he's still there after the summer after next. You would think twenty twenty three at the latest. Really, Dortmund's entire business model is about signing young players and then letting them go when the time is right. So, you know, they they have to sell those players really when they want to leave. And given how well Bellingham has played for them this season, if he if he repeats that for the next two seasons, then it's going to come a point where he wants to leave and. United were interested in him last year. You would think they should be interested in him again when he goes. The, the midfield might be settled and sorted then, but I think it would be wise to keep an eye on on Bellingham's situation and, and keep an option open because you know we've seen he's he's world class and him and Camavinga are the same age. Him, Camavinga, and Pedri are all the same age. And as eighteen-year-old central midfielders, there's there's some serious talent there. And I've seen Camavinga the least of those, but uh, you know I, I would have the other two ahead of him. And if there's a chance to sign Bellingham down the line, it's it's probably something you want to you want to keep in mind and, and balance out. But I think, you know, I think being interested in Camavinga probably makes sense. I still sense it's going to be a difficult deal to do just because of the number of clubs interested. Um, it doesn't strike you that it'll be a player that would come and go straight into the first team. I think it'd be it'd be a good option to have. I think it'd be on, on the bench pretty regularly and could start games. But I don't see him ousting Fred and or Scott McTominay just yet. But... You know, given if they are going to sign a central midfielder, it has to be from the the bargain basement section of the of the transfer window, shall we say? It, it probably makes sense to be interested in in someone with that sort of talent who's who's potentially available for thirty million euros. Yeah, the interesting thing is how it may affect Declan Rice, like you say, and and the fact that Camavinga isn't necessarily like you say, Tyrone, a guaranteed starter, and he's not really a out and out defensive midfielder. We've said on the podcast a few times that United in an ideal world, would like someone to do that job off Fred and McTominay in one role, someone who's a, a real expert at DM, as the kids call it these days. Declan Rice, obviously, is the man that United like in, in that position, and we understand that it's difficult for that deal to be done. West Ham have got a, you know, a very high price tag for him, although he has impressed massively for England, and he has turned down some contract offers, I think, as well, at, at West Ham. United likely to be able to get 
either Rice or someone of that caliber in that position uh, this summer? Or do you just think that's that's probably one ask too many for them if they're going to get Sancho, Rafa, Varane uh, and maybe somebody else? Yeah, I think it's, it's one ask too far, really. I think if they got Sancho and Varane, I don't think they can afford a, a central midfielder in, in that sort of price bracket. I mean, Rice has rejected contracts and... It is obviously at a time where it looks like he should be moving on from from West Ham, with all due to respect, as well as they've done. Probably he's got three years left on his contract, and, and West Ham have, have got a strong hand at the moment. And you know, there's talk of eighty million, hundred million pound, and I, yeah, I just don't see United being able to afford that. Chelsea possibly could, so there's obviously always the risk he ends up there. He, he's kind of like Harry Kane's situation, really, where if you go another twelve months and you're still not signing a contract, you, you've got to be sold next summer, really, with two years left on his contract. So, and unless Chelsea feel it's worth them paying paying the extra now to have a, a clear run at him, I think it's more likely he he moves on next summer. You know, United midfield's a difficult one to call because of Pogba's situation, really. That, that, you would think Matic will probably go next summer, or I think he'll have a year on his deal, but he, he's certainly coming towards the end of his time at United. Pogba, you know, we, we still don't know what he wants to do, really. His contract's got less than 12 months to run now. He's not really made any public statements on his future since 2019 when he said he wanted a new challenge. So United have to consider whether he needs replacing next year and, and how they go about that, because he's for the last six months of this season, he's not really played in, in midfield. And I don't... We saw how good he was in the Euros, but I just don't think there's that role for him at United. United play a two-man central midfield. Fernandes is basically a second striker, really, rather than a midfielder. And I just don't think Pogba's suited to a two-man midfield, especially when in the Premier League where you don't get that time on the ball. So a lot of these midfield decisions are going to have to be based around Pogba and and what his future holds. I mean, the talk of Paris Saint-Germain being interested now, and you wonder if that might give United another option, really, that if PSG are prepared to cough up 50, 60 million to get him this summer, then do you consider taking that? And, and maybe you can look to make another elite signing this year. It's It would certainly be an option on the table if, if PSG were interested, because we know the other clubs that, that like Pogba, like Real Madrid and Juventus, can't afford him this summer and we'll just wait to try and sign him for, for nothing a year later. So if PSG are interested and are willing to pay this summer, it gives United another option. I think I'd still lean towards keeping him and, and risk losing him for nothing. But... It is that is kind of the great unknown with with United's midfield and and how they're gonna how, how they're gonna progress it and and build forward that he, he at some point he is probably gonna at the moment we have to expect he's he's probably gonna leave and in what we've seen last year Van der Beek didn't really cut it it feels like you know if if he stays it's a massive year for him so there are still a few a few questions around that midfield and mm. as hot a prospect as Camavinga is they probably need someone else in there as well at least this summer or next summer. Yeah, a, a huge number of questions about that midfield. I, I suppose we've spoken about the Euros before and, and Italy obviously facing England in the final. I think Manuel Locatelli of Italy has been linked in some some circles with a move to United. Is there any other player or are you a fan of him? Maybe one of, one in the Euros that might have caught the eye that United could potentially should have a look at this summer. And there's been some talk about um, Mailer with the Premier League as well, but I suppose he's a full-back and the, the United have got plenty of those. It's not been one of those tournaments, really, where there's been a, like a, a standout player that you don't know about, I suppose, because we know so much about these players these days and so much is published online. It hasn't been like, a, oh, who's this fella, you know, coming straight out of the blue. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's probably the one thing we miss from tournaments, certainly of our childhood in the 90s, where you know European football and world football wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now. And you'd still get players that surprised. And, you know, even in Euro 96, you look at the players who moved to the Premier League after Euro 96, Karol Poborski being an obvious example, 
to United. And I think a couple of that Czech team ended up coming to the Premier League. There were still players that we didn't really know anything about. But now every Champions League and Europa League game is on TV. All the big domestic leagues are on TV. They're so easy to follow online and on social media that there are very few players that we don't know about. Mailers look really good for Denmark. Um, but I don't, I don't really see... I mean, he could, he's obviously a right footer, so he can play right back. And United obviously need a right back, but I don't, I don't see that as, as something that's that's likely. Locatelli, I think it looks likely to leave Sassuolo. Juventus seem to be the the talk in Italy of of where he's going to end up. It, it is kind of the one thing you don't get from tournaments these days. But given United's pretty patchy record of of signing players off the back of tournaments, that's that's probably for the best, really. And I think you'd be concerned. Marcus Rojo all over was, again. Yeah. Exactly. There's been a few down the years. And I think a club of United stature and any big Premier League club now, really, I think you'd be concerned if they were signing players off the back of a, a good tournament, because really they should, you know, they should be already looking at who they want to sign next summer, really. The, the scouting is that in depth these days. And, you know, you shouldn't be looking at someone who's had five good games for Denmark and thinking, oh, maybe we should we should sign him. They should have already have copious notes on these players playing for any any decent club in Europe, really, and know whether they fit or whether they're not and, and what their sort of situation is. So. I think it's probably the one thing that's changed in, in tournament football that we don't get these wild cards now that, that have a few good games and you think they're they're worth a gamble. Absolutely, yeah. Although I'm not sure about you grouping uh, your your childhood and my childhood in the same era. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll we'll move swiftly it's a on big from era. that. I think, yeah, it's my birthday coming up soon, but you know, I think it's uh, you do me a bit of a disservice there, Tyro. Uh, we'll move swiftly on. Um, United. Absolutely bizarrely, United have a game in ten days' time. We're recording this on the eighth of eighth of July. United begin their pre-season campaign on Sunday the eighteenth. Uh, we're at Derby County. Can you believe it? With another game six days later, another one four days after that. Um, still in the month of July. Then, what what's Solskjaer going to do with with this squad, Tyrone? You've obviously got the England contingent, who you will think and hope are given a, a good break after playing in the final on Sunday. You've got other players who've gone deep into the tournament. Youngsters have begun pre-season training at Carrington in the past week. It's a tricky one for, for Solskjaer to get right because he's been calling for United to to improve their fitness levels. And last season, that was a big gripe of his that they didn't get a full pre-season to work on fitness matters. These four games seem kind of important for a chunk of the squad, but for, for others, we probably won't even see them. Yeah, I think... The, you know, the, especially the first, probably the first couple, really, you're going to have very shadow squads. I was talking the other day, and I think there's only, I think of the centre-halves, there's maybe only Twanzebe and Jones who might be available at, at Derby with, obviously, Maguire's not going to be, Lindelof's Euros only ended recently. I think Bay's going to the Olympics still at the moment, so obviously there's, there's not a new face in at the moment. So, you know, there's, there's going to be a real shortage of, of players available, really, especially with England going so far in in the Euros, and it's often the way in a, a tournament year that the first few pre-season games are just a complete mishmash of a, a squad. Really, there's obviously a few who haven't gone, like Wan-Bissaka, who probably be available. Henderson pulled out, so he he might get a, a good run with the gloves at, at the start of the um, at the start of the pre-season friendlies. But I think we're going to be in an, inevitably in a situation where a lot of the youngsters get a bit of game time, and I'm not sure that we're going to learn a great deal from the Derby County game and QPR game, even though 
we'll have five things we learned after each game. I'm not sure. Um, how not how sure many we'll... things will it really be? Will it really? Yeah, be yeah. I think we might be have to be stretch a couple of those out. To be honest, I'm not sure we'll be learning a great deal, um, given the, the staggered return to, to preseason and you know all those all those England players now. I think it's normally three weeks off. Um, players get two to three weeks off after the end of a tournament. You'd imagine the England players would get two and a half to three at least, really, given how, how draining it's been. So you're potentially looking end of August before those players come back. I think that's the week United haven't got a game, but there's, there's still the option of going to Malta on the table. I think that they've left that week free for and potentially playing a game over there and, and doing a training camp over there. That would make sense if all if all the players, all the Euro players are back then to have a week training somewhere in, in Malta would, would probably make sense. So if that's possible, it would probably want Solskjaer's keen to do. And in a way that week, even if it's just a training week, would probably more be more important than these first couple of friendlies. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see if I can get my words out there. Is there a is there a player that maybe can impress themselves on these games though? Looking at a young player like a Shiratire, or I guess it's a it's a good chance for for maybe Martial to reestablish himself after the injury that he had kept him out at the end of last season. Is there anyone anyone who we will be able to write about as a point of interest in those those couple of first preseason games. Um, yeah, I, I guess Martial has got a point to prove, and and certainly the youngsters. You would, ex- I think Hannibal will probably be involved. I can't, don't think he's got anything. I don't think he's involved in um, Olympic squads or anything. He's obviously played for Tunisia now, so you, you'd presume he would be involved. And it feels like it's probably a decent chance for for him. I think he might have, but for that injury last year, I think he might have already made his debut. He's obviously. A player United are incredibly excited about. It feels like he's he's kind of the player that we, we always talk about Fernandez and how United can can rotate him in and out of the team and 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 kind of get a, a backup for him. It feels like Hannibal is perhaps the player who can really put his hand up for for that role and and play that more advanced midfield role. And if he can get a couple of starts, maybe in a bit of a run in preseason, obviously Fernandez is is going to be missing the first couple of preseason friendlies, you'd think, given his involvement into the the quarters with Portugal. So it's maybe a chance for for him. I think certainly the youngsters will will see it as a real opportunity in, in preseason. And Hannibal is is maybe the one with with the most to win, I think, in in those early games, because it does still feel like United need a a plan B just to rest and rotate Fernandez at times. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't agree more. So we'll probably leave it on on that note. To be honest, we, we have we'll have coverage of those preseason games on the MEN, and we'll of course uh, keep updating you on the England players' progress, especially those ones of United connections as they build up to the the big game on Sunday, the Euro- European Championship final against Italy. Um, I'm already nervous already. So we'll be back the other side of that for uh, reactions to the United involvement and also transfer latest, of course. Jaden Sancho, now a United player, so we can we can talk about him in a non-transfer relate, related environment. So that'll be refreshing anyway. Um, but anyway, thank you very much, Tyrone, for your contributions to today's podcast. Thank you, Dom. My pleasure. And we'll be back again very soon for another episode of the Manchester is Red podcast. Please leave us a like and a subscribe wherever you get your pods. And as I say, we'll be back with you very soon.